0: good evening ladies and gentlemen welcome to a good drop here we are getting silly and talking about sherry
1: yes which is not a silly drink it's uh, for a long time been an aristocratic drink it's a drink with history a drink with story it's a wine so there's lots of history
0: Mm. and the unexpected pun
1: yes so get excited get ready i'm michael and i'm Stu. and this is a good drop cheers cheers Alright, right, so uh, I'll (laughs) I'll, I'll begin then with a a brief uh, summary of what sherry is. Uh, It's a fortified wine of Spanish origin that typically has a distinctive nutty flavor. Now, it uh, takes its name from uh, the pronunciation of its place of origin, which is Jerez de la Frontera in Andalusia, Spain. And... uh, it is also produced in other countries such as uh, Cyprus, South Africa or America and Australia but it is not allowed to be called sherry when it's produced in those countries in much the same way that port can't be called port unless it's produced in Portugal.
0: That's right and uh, so sherry is the drink name for the drink produced in the sherry region however it's also currently still a drink. Generic name for the drink in the US, so you can call you can they can still call it a sherry, but they have to use the origin of where it's produced in the name. So, like a Californian sherry or an American sherry. Uh, but these drinks can't get exported to the European Union. So, what the rest of the world does is use the name apéra. So you'll see apéra amontillado.
1: Yes, because in Europe, sherry has the protected designation of origin status. Mm. And uh, under Spanish law, so in Spain, all wines labeled sherry must legally come from the area known as the sherry triangle, hmm. which is uh, in the province of Cádiz between Jerez de la Frontera, Silvan de Barameda, and El Puerto de Santa Maria.
0: I'm glad you're predicting pronouncing all the spanish names
1: (laughs) that's just guessing but i think i think that's right but either way even in spain they can't call it sherry unless they produce it in that tiny section of spain that is considered the sherry triangle yeah
0: well even in spain the people of the area have been producing it since 1100 bc so we're talking about the first mentions of sherry are in the the first century BC from a the Greek philosopher. Sorry, not philosopher. We're normally talking about Greek philosophers, but in this case, it's a geographer, a man named Strabo. Uh, he noted that wines were brought into the region by the Phoenicians in 1100 BC. And today, archaeological sites in the area confirm this history with wine presses discovered four kilometers away from Jerez. So, yeah. Yeah. These discoveries confirm that the same people who founded the ancient town Gadez, as they called it which is now Cadiz 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 I think maybe but yeah either way yep. that way that one uh, they brought wine and the vines themselves from what we now know as Lebanon
1: Ah, and of course the uh, the practice of making wine was uh, carried on by the Romans when they took control of Iberia around 200 BC. And um, then when the Moors conquered the region in uh, 711 AD, they introduced distillation, which ah. led to the development of brandy and fortified wines and, of course,
0: sherry. This This mystery was bugging me all day. I could not, for the life of me, find out where wines became fortified, and and or well, where sherry became a fortified wine.
1: Yeah, because tr- traditionally they talk about sherry being uh, a wine produced using grapes from the Spanish region, you yeah, Palomino and Pedro Ximenez grapes, hmm. and um, you yeah, know, a, a process that utilises uh, flour, a mildew-like yeast that's. Uh, encouraged by a slight, slight exposure to air after fermentation, which then imparts the characteristic nutty flavour to the wine. But there's very,
0: very little mention of when the distillation was introduced, except for for here. This this is a a little sneak preview into how we run the podcast.
1: Yeah, we, we try not to know everything so that we can learn things from each other.
0: All the the key is we go and research separately, yeah, so we you know if one of us doesn't find out something, the other one does,
1: yeah, well, ideally, just like it's
0: in seven eleven when they brought distillation into
1: the into the region, yeah, there you go, seven eleven always bringing a useful thing,
0: <laughs> so for the next five hundred years, uh despite the consumption of alcohol being prohibited by the Quran and Islamic law jerez continued to be one of the largest wine producing centers they used excuses like uh it was for medicinal purposes and it's for perfumes and ointments we're totally not drinking it
1: yeah though um in uh, 966 a.d they did almost lose production of wine in spain altogether mm. when uh
0: caliph uh, al hakam ii he he decreed pulling up the vines for religious reasons, religious grounds, only to be informed by the local vineyards that they were producing raisins to feed the troops in the Holy War.
1: Yeah, so uh, he spared two-thirds of the vineyards because of that. So oh, he, that was he still very lucky. took out a bunch of them, but, yeah. <laughs> but he spared two-thirds. But um, then, of course, in uh, in 1264, Alphonse X of Castile took the city. And uh, he really liked sherry, and so the production of sherry and its export throughout Europe increased significantly, Mm-mm. kicked into second gear. Yeah, and so by the end of the sixteenth century, sherry had a reputation as the world's finest wine. But it,
0: it's the history at this point still says, still states wine, not fortified wine.
1: So yeah. is this? So was it fortified back then? Yeah. Or were they just not calling it a fortified wine? That's what I want to know. Because technically a fortified wine is still a wine. So maybe they just weren't calling it fortified. Maybe. But, I mean, it was hugely popular either way. And I suppose fortified wines keep better under rough circumstances than standard wines. Mm. And sherry was very popular to take on sea voyages.
0: Yes. Some big names like Magellan... Took yeah. some on his voyages. Like, yeah,
1: Christopher Columbus took it with him. And, uh, yeah, Magellan, when <laughs> he went to sail around the world in 1519, actually spent more money buying sherry than he did buying weapons. This,
0: yeah, man likes to drink. Who uh, knew?
1: Wanted to keep a happy crew, I guess. Yeah.
0: And I suppose if you're on a peaceful mission, you don't really need weapons.
1: Yeah. Just a mission of exploration.
0: Hmm. All right, back to, back to the long history. So... Yeah, in 1264, when he reclaimed Jerez from the Moors, the King Alfonso was caught in a bitter struggle with the neighbouring countries because it's, you know, it's a frontier town, as, as in the name, De la Frontier. So, when, when all that started to settle down, he gave his most important military officer, Fernan uh, Ibanez Palomino. Main, one of the main grape varieties, Palomino, after this guy.
1: Yeah, it is now one that's... You didn't mean the... Because uh, depending on which style you're getting, because there are uh, a number of main styles of sherries and uh, so I'll, I'll list them off from the driest and palest to sweetest and darkest, which are uh, Fino, Manzanilla, amontillado, olivoso, Cream... And Pedro Jimenez. Now, the uh, paler, usually drier sherries are made chiefly from the Palomino grapes, and the sweeter, richer sherries are mostly made from the Pedro Jimenez and sometimes Muscat grapes.
0: Mm. So So you'll often see sherry labelled PX or Pedro Jimenez. So if you looking for a sweet one, keep your eye out for that.
1: Yes, indeed. And I suppose while we're talking about how uh, what we've doubled back to production, uh, let's mention the way they blend the wines, because it's something that's not used in, in anything else, really, which is that they're, they're blended in a process called a Solera system, which mixes wines of several vintages together. Mm. This and... method
0: this aging method is known as criaderas and solera. So, instead of, you know, having just the one barrel and uh having basically doing it in batches, what they do is they have a stack of seven or 10 barrels and they have m- interconnected so they the old with the oldest wine or sherry being at the bottom and every time they draw off some of the wine in the bottom barrel they filter more of it down from the next oldest barrel so the wine the sherry at the bottom is a mixture of the oldest and second oldest and third oldest and fourth oldest wines that have been there since production started
1: yeah and uh, generally that method matures the younger wines and freshens the older wines and so maintains a consistency of the type of sherry that they're producing
0: yeah and you might even get lucky the sherry that you get could be a mixture of 50 60 year old wine and three four year old wine
1: yeah there's never um really any telling though the date on a sherry bottle or label always refers to the year that the solera for that sherry was begun Mm. so it will tell you the age of the oldest wine that was in it rather than the age of the youngest the youngest
0: on our little bottle i don't think it says it because this is a non-vintage one.
1: Yeah, I mean, when if the label says it, it, it will be it will have that. the the year that the Solera was set down. It does have a lot number, though, which might help. Lot
0: 17152. Don't know if that means... It doesn't mean anything to me.
1: No, it he, doesn't mean much to me either. Nah. But, uh, so the uh, the final step, of course, because it's still wine at that point. They've still got wine. Mm. after they go through the whole process of using the solera, it's it's still wine. But um then all the sherry is apparently fortified after fermentation with high proof brandy and reduced down to sixteen to eighteen percent alcohol depending on the type of sherry.
0: Amazing stuff. So now seems like a good time to talk about the sherry that we've bought today. Yes. So I haven't even tried it yet. It's been sitting in front of me Smelling really good.
1: Yeah, so we are drinking the NPU Montelado sherry, and according to the label, it is it has bright amber hues, pungent nut aromas with notes of herbs and tobacco, and nuances of toasted aromas of oak. It's very dry and smooth, with balanced acidity and a lasting aftertaste of dried nuts. Biological aging under the layer of yeast followed by oxidative aging. And it is apparently best served between thirteen and fourteen degrees Celsius. And uh, looking at the fine print here, I see that it was imported by the Spanish acquisition.
0: <laughs> I wasn't expecting the Spanish acquisition.
1: nobody <laughs> expects a Spanish acquisition
0: <laughs> i I think that's one our golden bottle cap for best pun
1: yeah they they really they put that there, begging us to do this bit I, I'm sure. They knew what they were doing when they called themselves the Spanish Acquisition.
0: Oh, my goodness. But, so, yes. Somebody's called their company the Spanish the Acquisition. The Spanish
1: Acquisition. Literally what it's called. It's on the label.
0: Porting. Australian, Australian Importing Company.
1: Yes. From uh, Melbourne, Victoria, apparently.
0: There you go. Impor- <laughs> <laughs> All That's, right, here goes. I'm keen.
1: Yep, so Stuart is now trying the sherry. Hmm.
0: Yeah, it's very very dry it's a lot like a a lot like a Shiraz or a port but without the s- sweetness of, yeah. a, of a port
1: yeah so the uh, I mean the, the... Like
0: the dryness of a Shiraz with the um fla- flavor and complexity of a port
1: mm. and yeah the, the amontillado is mid to dry end of the scale so we we did go slightly towards the drier side, but not not mm. overly. But you can definitely taste that dryness. I think the the nutty flavours are in there, and I definitely get that aftertaste that it talks about. It's not bad. Yeah, it. Uh, I mean, the the first the first mouthful I had kind of caught me off guard. Yeah, but it, it does grow on you.
0: I think it also needed to breathe because uh, sherry is a lot is more like a wine than a fortified wine yeah. or a spirit. It needs. It needs to. It must need to age or uh, breathe. breathe a bit,
1: yeah. Because it, it it has mellowed. It's not as bitey as it was when when we first poured it. And I, oh, that's good. Took a sip.
0: <laughs> Did it bite your face
1: off? <laughs> oh, it wasn't quite uh, bite your face off bad, but it it was a bit bitey.
0: So, yeah, keeping Shiraz. i I've seen many articles state. Or many websites from distilleries, they or vineyards, they say you need to drink it within a few days or a week of opening. Uh, the Amontillado and what's the other one again? The o-
1: oh, the uh, Olivoso. Olivoso. Olivoso.
0: That one. Those two you can store up to a month in the fridge before you have to turf.
1: Yeah, and uh, undoubtedly that sort of age was why they were popular on. Lengthy sea voyages Mm. because I mean rather than a fridge they'd have probably kept it in a wet sack which was the fridge of the day.
0: It was the best they got without electricity.
1: Yes, exactly. And you know in the ocean where it's relatively cool anyway a wet sack will probably do the job.
0: Yeah, and there's plenty of (laughs) breeze. Plenty of breeze. Speaking of sea voyages, sherry was uh, was frequently seized by pirates. With the largest haul seized by one Sir Francis Drake, also known as El Drac by the Spanish where in 1587 he attacked Cadiz and made off with 3,000 kegs of sherry that were already waiting in port to be shipped elsewhere.
1: Yeah, so that was a very cheeky move on his part, really. Like, he just, he saw the opportunity, he took it, Mm. and he went to England.
0: Yeah, he, he, (laughs) he took it all the way back to England and sold it there. And he, it is his fault that it is much loved by the English today.
1: He introduced it to the British
0: aristocracy. Even to Queen Elizabeth and King James, like it just became more and more popular. So King James thought he'd make an example of his subjects, and he limited sherry from the royal cellar to twelve gallons a day. Right. He limited just from it's the royal cellar. twelve gallons a day. Yeah, that's a, a casual forty-eight liters. Yeah.
1: So he was he was saying to the people, "Oh, oh do look here. We will set an example for you by only consuming forty-eight gallons of sherry a day." That's a lot. That's Yeah, That that's a lot of sherry. But if that was the entire royal family, then...
0: Probably was, and the staff, and yeah. guests.
1: So yeah, maybe not so much. Be- perhaps only a bottle each, really.
0: That's still a lot Limiting of sherry. Limiting themselves
1: to a bottle a day, <laughs> per person.
0: I don't think I can drink that much. It's
1: quite a restriction when you when you're royalty.
0: Towards the end of the 19th century, as occurred in almost all European vineyards... The Black Plague of Phylloxera. I still can't pronounce that. Phylloxera? Anyway, this pest Hmm, devastated... Insects. Yeah, the, the insects devastated the vineyards of Spain as well. They, yeah, came from America, as you probably heard in our wine and champagne episodes. If you haven't listened to those, I do recommend the one about champagne and sparkling white. Yes. That that bottle we had was fantastic.
1: Oh, absolutely it was. And it is where we first mentioned the uh the origin rules about namings of Designation to origin
0: yes. Contrale. Yeah, exactly. This has gone straight to my head. Holy shit.
1: Yeah, it's not even that strong. It's Wine. It's only nineteen percent. Yeah.
0: Alright. <laughs> Alright. Uh so you know the Recuperation of the wines happened regardless because, you know, people drink wine and they they needed their supplies of wine grapes. So they there is really only three grape varieties left that were grafted onto American rootstock to stop the tide of this horrible insect. Yeah.
1: They uh had to replant with more hearty grape varieties so that they could uh, recover from it. The, mm. A lot of the smaller vineyards did not recover. They didn't have the financial backing to be able to no. pull up their plants and replant and wait for it to grow and harvest a whole new load. But
0: Not, not that they were small at this point. Mm. They were industrial-sized, thanks to thanks to the Spanish government mandating that all cargo ships have uh, set aside a third of their cargo space for goods coming out of uh, Jerez. Sorry, not Jerez, Seville.
1: Mm. But they weren't quite big enough to survive. The biggest. The biggest survived. The biggest Mm. replanted.
0: Well, it was the biggest uh, plague, biggest disease of grapes and vineyards since ever.
1: Yes. So understandably, though, they would uh, get their cross strains and replant those. Mm. And so what we drink now as sherry as with many other wines, is actually quite different to how it originally began because it's a crossbreed from the original strain made more uh, resilient by crossing it with other more resilient strains.
0: Yeah, what they did was they they grafted plants, they grafted these grape vines onto uh, American vineyard American vine roots. So the process of grafting is they they grow the the base plant for the the root system, and then they chop it off at the trunk and stick a new one on top.
1: (laughs) It it, sounds sounds brutal, mm, but... And it it, just sort of joins together and becomes a whole new, more resilient breed of the plant.
0: Exactly, because plants are crazy cool like that. Yeah, it's amazing. All right, back to Sherry. So the British were unquestionably responsible for the increased popularity popularity of sherry throughout the world. But not only did they pass on their enthusiasm for the beverage, but in those places where it proved possible to produce wine, they began making drinks in the, the sherry style themselves and calling them sherry. So the, we have Australian sherry, we have South African sherry and Canadian sherry, for example. The problem of imitations has arisen and the Spanish government didn't like that at all. So, in the late 19th century wine producers from the Jerez region attended a a conference for sorry, attended a series of international conferences to establish the legal framework for the defence of the denomination of origin. So, the Spanish version of uh, area de origin contrale. Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly, and mm. uh, of course, as a result of that, a number of British producers picked up and moved into the sherry triangle.
0: They sure did.
1: <laughs> they I, said, I mean, we I... make sherry, we're going to call it sherry, we'll move. Yeah, <laughs> And off they went.
0: Yeah, I mean, props to them, because it means that they're producing actual sherry and not some imitation.
1: Yeah, and admittedly, as we know, Any grape variety, when grown under different conditions, like, Mm. say, the difference between growing conditions in Spain to the growing conditions in Britain, Mm. is going to taste different. Mm.
0: I mean, it tastes different if you look at Shiraz grapes from the middle of New South Wales to South Australia.
1: Mm, Though that is probably further than Spain to England.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You're not wrong. All right, so... In 1933, it was officially, the denomination of origin was officially published and it was one of the first to be legally constituted in Spain. So there you have it. That's the not so brief history of Sherry.
1: Yeah. And it
0: hasn't really changed much since 1930 something. mm. They've just got more and more production.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Basically, it's. As far as we can tell, the same drink. Well, slight variation in flavour, undoubtedly, because Hmm. of the slight change in grapes back in the 1880s. But, much the same. Yeah. Yeah, so, of course, um, as with a lot of wines, sherry's not particularly expensive. The Australian ones can be purchased very cheaply for... They're not that good, though. They're not the the cheap ones are not that good. If you if you're paying seven dollars for a two liter jug of <laughs> of sherry, you've got to have some expectations, and they should be low.
0: Yeah, T- to be fair, it's going to meet your expectations.
1: Yeah. But um ideally if you're buying that two liter jug, you're buying it to cook with. Yeah. Because sherry is very like like port, it's quite popular for cooking, but for different things. And of course it's the sweeter sherries that, that tend to be used for cooking. And again, desserts mostly, but um, you know, because it is still a red wine and a fortified red wine, it can be used in things like you know, sauces for meat dishes and things like that as well.
0: Yeah, sherry's fantastic for uh, deglazing your pan or using in in the same context as wine
1: yeah just for imparting a different flavor to what you're preparing
0: hmm but you, you wouldn't you wouldn't spend forty dollars on a bottle of sherry just to use it in your cooking
1: oh no no you'd spend seven dollars on a cheap sweet sherry mm. and have a sweeter sauce than if you had made the sauce with a Shiraz or a melo
0: yeah so so we spent uh, about $40 on this bottle from our favourite bottle shop.
1: Yep. And, and uh, this one is actual proper Spanish sherry.
0: Yeah. It's got the label... On the label it says Jerez Zerez Cherry. Sherry. Uh, the actual denomination to de origin sticker yep.
1: on it. Which is what should be on any real
0: sherry. Mm. It's a little rectangular icon that they've made look quite nice.
1: Mm. They have. They, they knew what they were doing. Mm. Good branding.
0: Very nice branding, especially with the Spanish acquisition.
1: Yes, with the Spanish acquisition. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'll, I'll be honest, I picked this bottle for the pun.
1: Yeah, Oh, because we, we were torn. We were like, do we go with this one? Do we go with that one? Oh, no, we have to acquire that one. It has the Spanish mm. acquisition.
0: Or do we go with Australian apera instead yeah. of sherry?
1: which is always tempting because theoretically you can get the same quality for Fruit. less when Fruit. you buy Australian because of the ludicrous amount of tax we pay on imports.
0: Yeah, but in some cases it's better because the imports are different.
1: Yeah, because yeah, grape, grape growing conditions would be so entirely different. Yes, the the climate in Spain is entirely <laughs> different to the climate in any of the grape-growing regions of Australia.
0: Mm. It's, yeah, the average... One of the articles I was reading, it said the average temperature in the Sherry region throughout the year is 18 degrees, which is very mild for Australia. I don't know of any places in Australia that have that average temperature without also having the extremes of our... Particular climate. Yeah, I
1: mean, generally, most places in Australia do tend to have high highs and low lows. Mm. They tend to cover, you know, even in the colder climates, there's still a very wide gamut between the coolest and the hottest that it gets to. Whereas places like Spain, I'm led to believe, are more Mm. consistent with their temperature. Well,
0: Spain is more coastal than Australia, it's a smaller landmass. And you know, the Sherry region is actually on the coast.
1: Mm, and it's tiny. Like, it's it d- a tiny portion of Spain.
0: I reckon it's probably about the same size as Champagne or uh, Cognac.
1: Mm, which is undoubtedly, like, smaller in Tasmania. They're, <laughs> Definitely. They're tiny places. And you could walk from one side of Tasmania to the other if you were desperate.
0: You could. So, we're, we're getting a bit off the rails, so... I think it's time to wrap it up. Have you got anything else?
1: Oh well, well bottle caps. What, oh, what do we think caps. of this? How how many bottle caps would you give the montelado?
0: Yeah, this is this is interesting. I haven't had anything quite like this before. It's a mix of a bunch of different flavours that I recognise from other drinks, and it's like mashed it together in its own particular style. It has grown on me, like like you said, uh, but it was initially very very sharp hmm. uh i'd probably give it seven seven seven
1: yeah yeah i i would uh, also give it about seven and say that potentially for our tastes like not nothing against this particular sherry but potentially hmm. for our tastes we chose one that was too dry
0: yeah or we don't know how to serve it properly
1: Yes, because ideally it should be served between 13 and 14 degrees Celsius, and it's unlikely that we served at that temperature.
0: No. We probably served... Oh, no, we probably got close. We probably got it down to about 15, 16 degrees.
1: Mm, But it wouldn't have stayed that way for long. No.
0: Uh, And And I
1: think the ambient temperature here at the moment would be 26, 27.
0: Yeah, probably about that. Uh, We just recently cooked dinner, so the oven was on and heated the place up. Uh, It also, when we initially opened it, it was very sharp, So that put me off to start with. But now that it's had some time to breathe, it's really, it's smoothed out quite a lot. I can imagine that if I open this bottle tomorrow or next week, it would be fantastic. Like it would really be smooth and uh, a little dry, just like the label says.
1: Yeah. So um, we are recommending sherry as we recommend all these things. Give it a try. Let us know what you think. Let us know which variety you tried.
0: I don't know if I'd recommend this. No, not, not, not,
1: I'm <laughs> recommending sherry in general. Oh, okay. Not not the amontillado, but sherry in general.
0: I'm not. I don't know if I'd recommend that either. <laughs> it's it's nice enough.
1: It's good to expand your horizons yeah. and see what's out there.
0: Yeah. Oh, I should probably. Uh, did I do this already? I mentioned mention a correction from last week. Oh no. Um, I said it was a very English drink, and I stand corrected because it's spanish
1: mm, it, it's spanish it's just very loved by the english and the english make it and the english make it in spain mm. but it is technically still spanish. it is it,
0: yeah it's a spanish drink but i've only ever seen english people drink it mostly english men drink it so there
1: you go yeah, there we go. I stand corrected corrected so um if anyone wants to uh make any comments to us about anything suggest anything to us uh, let us know that they've tried a different kind of Sherry and what they thought of it, or that they've tried this one and what they thought of it. We'd uh, love to hear it. You can shoot us an email a good drop
0: at gmail.com. We've got a website, it's a good
1: And you can always message us on our uh, a good drop Facebook page, hmm.
0: where you are a good drop podcast. And we are on iTunes as well, or your favorite RSS feed viewer. So. That, yes. that's all the plugs next we, week we
1: should have tuned in for our next episode when we talk about citrus liqueurs
0: yeah we're going to talk about Cointreau we're going to talk about uh, Grand Marnier
1: yeah it really could not be more different from what we did this week so mm. get excited
0: get excited get your citrus hats on I'm sure someone's got an orange hat somewhere yep
1: yeah, so until next time cheers cheers